Hi there, my name is Emel, and today I'm joined by my friends Rawan, Malak, Cesar, and Ahmed. You are listening to Poets Vision, and this is our podcast, Life in the Time of Corona, where we elaborately dive into poems that, in a way, bears a resemblance to our experience through lockdown. Sharing with us a piece is Cesar. This poem is called For Better or For Worse, and it's written by Don Arbor. The virtual hug cannot replace the actual hug, and eye contact is not the same as eye contact. Yet we make do with Zoom and FaceTime and whatever else there is, but still we long for what comes after and what used to be. I get to work from home because I have a home, lucky for that. I get to shop for groceries, two weeks worth at a time because I have a roof and walls and kitchen cabinets, and I'm lucky for those as well. In the first stanza, the poet compares between the virtual life that we're living right now during lockdown and from the face-to-face life we used to have before. He starts with comparing eye contact, which is a visual, uh, visual, uh, sorry, um, virtual eye contact, Uh, over uh, video chats or FaceTime and he states that it's not the same as eye contact which is uh, true as we're living now and virtually our life virtually is not the same as uh, seeing a person face to face and having a conversation then he, he also says at the end of the first stanza that we long for what comes after and what used to be here he's saying that he's looking forward for the future as we are And uh, we hope everything would come, go back to how life was before uh, quarantine and before lockdown. Even though it seems like it's going to be in the distant future, we, we can only hope that things will go back the way they used to be. In the second stanza, he starts with saying he gets to work from home. And then he also says he's lucky for that. He's being thankful for uh, two reasons. First, he has a job which uh, compared to other people during lockdown and during since the start of the pandemic, um, only, only a part of the population has been lucky enough to keep their jobs and to also keep their homes. And he, he shines the light on that and he's thankful for that. And then he repeats uh, uh, that sentence in the last line by saying, and I'm lucky for those as well to emphasize how thankful he is and how lucky we are to be, be able to live under a roof with our family while there are many people around the world that are suffering without shelter and without job and without any money or income. Thank you. Thank you, Cesar. Next, we have Malek. Okay, my poetry is One Arts by Elizabeth Bishop. The art of losing isn't hard to master. So many things seem filled with the intent. To be lost, that their loss is no disaster. Lose something every day and accept the plaster of lost door keys that our badly spent. The art of losing isn't hard to master. The practice losing further, losing faster. Places and names and where it was meant and where it was you meant to travel. None of those will bring disaster. I lost my mother's watch, and look, my last or next to last of three loved houses went. The art of losing isn't hard to master. I lost two cities, lovely ones, and bastard, some realms I owned, to reverse a continent. I missed them, but it wasn't a disaster, even losing you. The voice joking, I guess her I love, I shan't have life. It's evident, the art of losing isn't not too hard to master. thought it may look like, write it, like disaster. Okay, Elizabeth Bishop is, uh, I think it's, she wrote about losing some, something and it's going by accordingly about what's harder to lose. At first, she wrote about, lose, uh, she lost her door keys and she said like, this normal thing, you could lose your door keys and it's not hard to master, and it's not hard to master to lose your door keys. Then she lost like names, places, 
and something like those, and wishing was meant to trouble. And it's not hard to master this kind of loss. She could live with it. And then she lost her mother's watch, which she was really attached to it. But it's not hard to master the loss of it. Then she lost two cities, lovely ones, and realms she owned, two rivers, a continent, as she said. That seemed that she moved on, but to a place that really attached to but she moved on and it's not too hard to master. It is hard, but it's not too hard to master losing them. Them, but this thing that she couldn't master losing it is someone, someone she really loved. Someone she, it's really, it's really a disaster. She admits it's a disaster after losing this someone. So losing someone, it's not, it's really hard to master and it's a disaster too. Thank you, Malak. Next up, we have Rowan. I'm gonna read a poem written by Pankuri Saxena. Coronavirus, the worst disease. Hide in your homes if you please. A disease killing lives and spreading negative vibes. Symptoms like fever making us weak. Doctors help, we need to seek. Started in China, now the world is sick. Let us unite and find a cure quick. You will have fever as I told. You will get headache and a cold. Following up, then comes cough. Getting rid of is now quite tough. You will get problems of respiration. Now we all need prevention. Muscle pain can come too. Let us build immunity, me and you. Wash your hands with some soap. We'll fight the virus, that's the hope. Sneeze and cough into a tissue. Let's take some steps to tackle this issue. Don't go to crowded places. Don't be one of those thousand cases. Visit a doctor if you need care. Now just make others all aware. So as I read, she's talking about how the disease spreads negative vibes in terms of the lockdown state, destroying people's lives, causing many old and young to fall sight and die. She also mentioned how would you feel the symptoms. For example, if you're sneezing, coughing, having headache and a fever, fever. You have to visit a doctor so you won't be one of these people who are dying because of this virus. And also it's written in a rhyme scheme to pull people's focus towards the poem and making it catchy to read. Thank you. Thank you, Rowan. And now we have Ahmed. My poem is called COVID-19 and it's written by Mike A. Kashiwa. Wash your hands, don't go out. If you must, then mask it. At least you end up in an unwanted casket, self-isolating and avoiding the state, trying not to lose your job while making ends meet, while Big Pharma is wringing its hands in anticipation of the big vaccine. Then there is our company that thinks it's okay to keep us at home at 60% of our pay. At the cost of living gets dearer and dearer. Can't go to the restaurant or movies with a clear conscience. No social contact and hugs, this is nonsense. Even if sport, uh, sports comes back, there will be no one in stands. I have had it with COVID-19. I'm going to go wash my hands. I think uh, here the general theme of the poem is life during a pandemic. And the writer starts by giving a simple advice, which is, uh, which is that uh, the reader should go and wash their hands to avoid an unwanted uh, outcome, which is an unwanted casket. Uh, and then he goes on and says uh, that uh, trying not to lose your jobs when making an ends meet. And then there is our company that thinks that it's okay to keep us at home with 60% of our pay. Uh, this is the writer uh, trying to talk and describe uh, some of the depressing hardships, uh, such as having to deal with financial pressure uh, due, to the, due to the pandemic. Uh, he also describes it in second person to give a sense that the, uh, to give a sense that he is talking, uh, he's having a conversation with uh, his audience directly. Uh, and I think uh, the general uh, mood of the poem is negative and the tone is informal because he described, uh, he described his frustration uh, in the last sentence as, I have had it with COVID-19 with an exclamation point. Thank you, Ahmed. And I would like to 
bring up the last poem. I chose uh, Nuns Fret Not at Their Convent's Narrow Room by William Wordsworth. Nuns fret not at their convent's narrow room, and hermits are content with their cell, and students with their pensive citadels, maids at the wheel, the weaver at his loom, sit blithe and happy, bees that soar for blue. High is the highest peak of furnace fells, will murmur by the hour in foxglove bells. In truth, the prison into which we do, ourselves no prison is, and hence for me, in sun-dry moods, t'was pastime to be bound within this sonnet's scanty plot of ground. Pleased if some souls for such their needs must be, who have felt the weight of too much liberty, should find brief solace there, as I have found. This poem tells uh, about finding peace and self-assurance in any spot. Uh, I link this poem, which actually um, dates back to the 80s, uh, to our current global lockdown. In the lines, he mentions nuns confined in a small space, hermits choosing to stay in solitude, students are happy in university dormitories, young women are spinning wheels, just all of them are carefree in their personal space. The line that I picked up on is uh, highly as the highest peak of furnace fells, uh, highly because um, during lockdown at some point, we all felt a thirst for nature, uh, communication with humans, and just the basic everyday normal routines we once took uh, for granted. And I would like to end this by adding that these poets' artwork uh, made our hearts, our hearts feel less isolated. And for them, this was a flotation device in perhaps one, in one of their most difficult times. Um, and for us, it was an, an escapism into our into our imagination. So thank you for listening. Hey guys, how are y'all doing? We're good. Uh, good. We're good. How are, you? how are you? That's great. I'm fine. Um, so as y'all know, in today's podcast, we'll be talking about the Black Plague disease. Such diseases have been always unwelcomed in the society because of their severe impact on not only humans, but, an but animals too. So, Meta, can you tell us about its history and background? Sure. A plague is a disease affecting mammals caused by the bacterium Yersinia pestis. It is transmitted through vectors. In this case, it's an animal that has come in contact with the bacterium. Exactly. Humans can be contaminated by the bite of infected fleas through direct contact with infected materials or simply by inhalation. Yes, precisely. Due to rising urban populations in the 14th century, it resulted in crowded neighborhoods, which caused the accumulation of waste. As there was no actual sewage treatment and the toilets were deemed a luxury, this caused an unsanitary living condition. Unfortunately, there was no medical experience during that century, so the people were completely clueless of what was going on. Mona, can you please tell us about the symptoms? Yeah, of course. Symptoms include fever or chills, and if you feel extremely weak, that's another sign. You can also experience abnormal pain or even diarrhea and vomiting. And if you notice bleeding from your mouth, nose, or rectum, or even under your skin, that can also be a sign that you should be aware of. Also, a sudden shock can be a symptom as well. So these are the, the symptoms that you can most probably feel. In today's topic, the bubonic plague, which killed a third of Europe's population, it originated in Asia, spread through the Middle East, and reached Europe. People quickly started to point out that it followed the trade route and connected the dots to come up with the conclusion that this is how it spread. Some doctors claimed that the spirit of those who died due to the plague would transmit it to others. Obviously, that's scientifically false. Um, Shari, can you please tell us a little bit about the economy? As Malik mentioned earlier, it killed millions of people. This reduced the world population by a very large number, which took almost centuries to recover again. So, what effect did it have on the crops? Well, England couldn't import the crops like grains from France. Most countries didn't even produce much due to the crop failures and the shortage of the labor. And a fun fact, most resources that were shipped were taken by looters to be sold on the black market. So, where are the workers benefited? Well, the massive reduction of the workforce due to the death of the employees, of course, meant that the labor was suddenly in higher demand. Oh, by the way, wasn't France at war? What happened to France? 
Well, for France, this caused the malnutrition, poverty, and the disease and hunger. It all coupled together, growing the inflation. Um, now we're going to look at a diary entry that was written in November 1349, which was the worst year when it came to the outbreaks in Europe. The diary was written by Adeline David, who lives in France. She, she wrote, Dear Diary, the deadly Black Plague has recently hit where I live, France. There are three forms of this Black Plague. The bubonic plague, which is an infection of the lymph nodes, pneumonic plague, an infection of the lungs, and septicaemic plague, an infection of the blood. This severe disease has killed many in Western Europe and most recently our neighbor Italy in the past year. Oh, so how has the Black Plague affected Italy's village? Adeline wrote, this disease has wiped out much of my village. Many people are dying each day and we are forced to bury them in massive pits in the street. My village is filled with devastation. Many are locking their doors, shutting themselves off from the world. Others are abandoning their friends and family and fleeing the village in panic. And how did Adeline and her family deal with the situation? My family and I have decided to stay as we have lost hope. There is no way to escape this disease and soon we will all die. Many as well as I believe this is the end of the world. This is punishment from God. The only way to fight this plague is to pray for forgiveness to be spared. <clears throat> Were there any advantages to living during the Black Plague? Well, surprisingly, yes. Uh, Adeline wrote that many labor workers have died or become unwell. As sad as that is, it's increased wages for those of us still alive. So my father and our family. These increased wages and decreased prices of goods have made life a lot easier as we can afford a lot more food. Was anyone from her family infected by the plague? Yes. Um, she wrote that uh, I am also writing this journal today as my mother has unfortunately been told by the doctor she has been infected by the Black Plague when she discovered an extremely swollen gland under her armpit and some pain today. My mother had been feeling ill and weak yesterday and we became incre increasingly worried when she started having a fever that led to vomiting. Oh, what did the doctor say? The doctor that wore an unusual bird-like gas mask told us that this disease is highly contagious and will most likely catch it. He said, based on other cases, my mother has days to live and her conditions will become much worse, like increased bubos that will turn dark, purple, or even black. This black plague is devastating and it's taking away lives of thousands and soon including my beloved mother. I am praying to God that a miracle happens so my mother lives and I am spared. That is all for now, diary. Now, Bardi and Sharak, can you tell us your analysis on the journal of the plague, plague year? Sure. Sure. So let me start. Daniel Defoe's A Journal of Plague Year is a first person narrative told by Costagon HF, whose name is only relieved by his signature at the end of the book. Damn, what does the novel talk about? The journal is a tale of his experiences during the plague that afflicted London. He relates many stories of mercy, charity, and redemption. HF also mm -hmm. explains how people of London were affected by the plague. Oh, what were the stories about? I'm interested. I'll take it from here. Well, the stories include the tales of grieving fathers, crazed men running through the streets, people throwing themselves into burial pits too. The husbands trying to support their families and their houses were being looted. It was truly a mess back then. What was HF's perspective about the rules of the plague? Actually, he was against the idea of people shutting themselves down in their houses as it was better off if they left the city as the Londoners had a found a way to escape the city. The rich were able to leave the city more easily as they had more political power, but the poor couldn't. Oh, and what does HF think about the plague? He muses on the causes of the plague and how it is separate, rejecting outlandish explanation, but concluding that while it must have some human causes, it is from God. Oh, how does Daniel Defoe end the journal? Well, HF ends his narrative with a small verse exalting that he survived. Mm -hmm. So guys, um, since we talked about this disease and there was a pandemic at that time, and now we are going through a pandemic at the moment, 
how can we relate this to that disease? Um, let's start with Bardia. Do you have any idea in terms of internet, social media, TV games, and online teaching, and many other things? We can say uh, back then, they didn't have so much things like do we have now. For example, social media, TV, games, and so many other things that we have, and like they make us uh, less bored and exhausted during the quarantine. Moreover, we are continuing our education in an online way, but back then there was no such a chance to do that. Wait, so what do you, what's your idea about online teaching? Do you like it or you prefer going back to school? Well, it is good, but uh, schools was uh, better, but now we can at least continue our education and not be like them, like they stop completely exactly. the education. Yeah, I do agree with you. Um, Malak, what about like um, its physical and mental um, effect on us? I can say, did it have any effect? Yes, obviously it did. And I can speak for both our generation and our the generation before us, like for example, okay. the 14th century. I think we can all agree that we've all become a little bit lazy and you can tell, you can tell the proof from of this from like the 14th century there were a lot of portraits from loyal families uh, that were painted by famous people of just the kings and the queens just chilling in bed and I think we can relate to that in a sense even though we're not really royal or anything yeah of course yeah quite um, relatable what about hygiene Maria do you have any idea about the hygiene Yes, well, when it comes to the hygiene, uh, masks weren't really accessible to people back then. And even if they were, they weren't really in the form that we would recognize. Um, only, um, only like elite people would wear the masks at that time. And uh, maybe doctors sometimes. And uh, when it comes to like, quarantining themselves, people would lock themselves in houses. And uh, if a person got infected, they would be locked in like a dirty old chat at the back of the house. Um, and uh, also when people would die, they would bury them all in like tens of people in like massive pits to prevent the, to, to prevent the spread of disease to the living people. Mm -hmm. By the way, guys, did you know that back then doctors would turn away patients because they wouldn't kill the bacteria. Instead, they would kill the, the patients themselves. Um, oh nowadays, oh, actually, yeah, exactly. But nowadays, with modern technology, such diseases could be simply treated by antibiotics. So, um, Muna, since cases we are now in quarantine round two, so what do you have to talk about the cases? Why do you think cases um, started increasing again? What's the reason? Cases have been uh, increasing again these past few days because we have been so careless because during the summer, cases were decreasing and we thought everything was going to start being okay. But we were obviously wrong and we became more careless and we didn't take our precautions as we should have taken them. And we were just not social distancing and doing what we should have done. So cases have uh, been increasing and that's what led us to quarantine right now. And we have to stick to a certain time of a curfew. Yeah. So guys, well, that's everything for today's podcast. Thank you for being part of it. And thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> have a, have thank a nice you. day, guys. You too. Bye. You too. Bye. Stay safe. Bye. Right, so Good day everyone, I'm your host Faiz and today I'll be having a discussion between myself and five high school students about some passages taken from novels that were influenced by or made during a pandemic. And since we're in a pandemic right now, we wanted to review what authors did uh, during such times and uh, what got them into making these novels during uh, isolation because not uh, not anyone can be productive while staying at house and anyway so it li I'd like to start with Muid who chose a novel with the title The Plague 
by French novelist Albert Camus. So, wait, what makes this novel worth reading, or how do you think it will um, maybe influence people into doing something during these times? As you said, I want to talk about the novel, the name The Plague. And it is a story a bit, I can say, scary. And the description of the symptoms of this disease, I mean the plague, really affects the reader, I think. And let's start with this introduction about the novel. Um, the plague is a novel by Albert Camus published in 1947 that tells the story from the point of view of a narrator of plague sweeping in French Algerian city of Oran. Oran is the place that uh, the plague was spreading. The narrator remains unknown until the start of the last chapter, chapter 5, part 5, and the novel presents a snapshot of a life in Oran as it through the author's distinctive absurdist point of view. Um, Cam used as a source material the cholera epidemic that killed a large proportion of Oran's population in 1849, but situated the novel in the 1940s. Oran and its surroundings were struck by disease several times before Camus published his novel. And the novel stresses the powerlessness of the individual characters to affect their destinies, the very pith of absurdism. Well, now I want to talk about patient in Oran, uh, which is similar to our current situation, and also the part of the story where you become more familiar with the novel. So, the plague is spreading, people are dying, everyone is ordered to quarantine at home, doctor works around the clock to save victims. There are acts of horrorism and acts of There are those who think only of themselves. Those who are engaged for the greater good. The human condition is absurd and precarious. Now, uh, let's see a part of the story. Um, at that moment, the boy as a thaw beaten in the stomach, doubled up again with high-pitched moan. He remained bent for several seconds, shaking and trembling convulsively. As all his frail body were bowing beneath, the raging wind of the plague and cracking on the repeated blast of the fever. Once the gust had passed, he relaxed a little. The fever, the fever seemed to move away, abandoning him gasping on a damp and polluted shore where the rest already seemed like death. When the burning tides struck him again for the third time and raised him up a little, the child bent double and throwing back his blanket, fled to the end of the bed, while shaking his head from side to side, in terror of the flame that was burning him. Large tears rose beneath his swollen eyelids and began to flow down his pallid face. When the crisis was over, exhausted, dancing his bony legs and his arms from which 48 hours the flesh had dropped away, the child assumed the grotesque pose of a crucified man in the ravaged bed. So, how do you, how can you relate uh, what's been written in this extract to our to our, to our times? Yeah. So it's about disease. It's like coronavirus, the plague that is spreading in a city, um, or can spread spreading in a country, and uh, they. They say some symptoms and it can affect the reader um, easily and, and also it's talking about the quarantine that people are in quarantine and people are doing their job. Okay, so thanks Moeed and now uh, we'll be moving on to our next passage and regarding this, pas uh, this passage uh, from the pull of the stars uh, I'll be discussing it with the person who brought it with her, Haya. Um, so what attracted you to this novel other than it being released this year? So, hi everyone. My story is The Pull of the Stars. Uh, it's a novel set in 1918 in Dublin, at the time when the world was ravaged by war and plague, written during this pandemic by Irish author Amadono and released on 21st July 2020. 
<clears throat> obviously it was influenced by what's happening in the world right now a lot of similarities can be seen in the novel so it talks about a nurse in that period of time when there was a world war going on and the plague uh, the spanish flu says a passage from the novel can i read it for everyone okay i'm going to read it as far as i could tell the whole world was a machine grinding to a halt across the globe in hundreds of languages signs were going up urging the people to cover their coughs this passage from the novel might be the most relevant thing that people nowadays should do and from this passage emma is trying to encourage people to stay safe because just like how the spanish flu killed many people this could also kill many more however we all know that this isn't when emma wanted to the core of this novel is about the human nature during a crisis and how human emotions such as love can't be controlled in a sense that we all out to care about one another so through the whole novel we follow the nurse julia power as she narrates narrates what she experiences every day in her job we go deeper in her mind cuz understand more about the animal extent in human Thank you. All right, so thank you, Haya, and um, thank you. After that, we'll be discussing. We'll I'll be having our third guest tonight, uh, today, Edenur, who will tell us about something else, something that's not related to COVID yet. It's uh, still tragic. Um, it's a memoir from the life of Sonali Dirani Gala, uh, the author of the novel Wave, which talks about the. 24 tsunami that hit Sri Lanka and uh, killed the author's uh, family. So uh, during that time the country was in a crisis and which can be related to the situation of of some countries now. So Edenur you can start. Yes, uh, so Somali experienced Uh, a lot during this disaster that took place where she lost her husband sons and parents and it's similar to our situation where she had to live with the consequences of this natural disaster that nobody expected that was going to happen so um it's we see her healing process in this memoir as uh, time passes and how she has to deal with the tsunami and how it impacted her just similar to our situation during covid where we have to live with the consequences not the extent but of the situation we have around us uh and an important point she gives out like telling people about your uh, situation and what you're dealing with is a very important part of the healing process So do you think that after reading these uh, this novel some people could uh, get influenced by it and write something about from their lives about uh, you know that their time during covid or any other crisis they've experienced Yes uh, I think so writing this uh, journey to recovery really helps you to visualize or understand what happened and how you can move on how you can improve the situation also it is a great way to reflect and remember in the future if you want to remember what happened right so thanks eda and uh, our fourth discussion will be about the novel a beginning at the end which is a post apocalyptic novel uh, it talks about the state of the world after um, most of the population has been wiped out by a plague. Uh, it's also released uh, at the beginning of this year. In discussing this novel, I'll be having Tala with me. So, Tala, what uh, what ideas have you or do you have regarding this novel? Well, this novel is different from the other novels that I read before because is talking about the future and what's the next level for the any population in the world and actually it has uh, such a nice story with uh benefit 
a message at the end. So yeah, this is attract me. Well, okay, so I will start with. All right. Okay, go mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. So a beginning at the end. It's not, it may not feel like it, but fingers crossed knock on wood. One day post-COVID life, we'll get back to normal. And that's exactly the concept Mike Chen explores in the beginning at the end. Okay, so here we have uh, such a story. Um, six years old, after a global pandemic whipped out most of the population, the survivors are rebuilding the country. Split between self-governing search sites have been communicated and wasteland gangs. Uh, San Francisco former pop star Moira has created a new idea to finally escape her past. Until her domineering, a father launches a sweeping public search to track her down. Disappeared for a, a fresh start herself, judged event planner Krista Negevit uh, the world on the behalf of those too turbanized uh, to go outside determined to help everyone move on, even if they don't want to. Rob survived the catastrophe with uh, his daughter, Sonny, but uh, lost his wife when strict government rules threatened to separate parents and children. Rob need uh, to provide him to prove himself worthy in the city's eyes by acting with people again. Krista, Moira, Rob, and Sunny are brought together by a circumstance, and their lives begins to end together. When, re when reports of another outbreak through the fragile society in the pic, the friends are forced to finally face everything that came for before and everything they still stand to lose. Because sometimes having one person is enough to keep the world linked. Right, so thanks, Stella, and finally with our last guest today, Nermin. Um, Nermin, what, uh, what, what have you prepared for us tonight? Um, I do by Dina Klata, and it's the story of the great influenza pandemic of 1918 and the search for the virus that caused it. Uh, in 1918, the great flu epidemic filled the young and healthy virtually overnight. An estimated 15 million people died as the epidemic raged. Children were left orphaned and families were devastated. As many American soldiers were killed by the 1918 flu, as were killed in battle during World War One, and no area of the globe was saved. So, and Gina Glata, an acclaimed reporter for the New York Times, unravels the mystery of this lethal virus with a high drama of a great adventure story, delving into the history of the flu and previous epidemics, detailing the science and the late, latest understanding of this mortal disease. Glata addresses the prospects for a great epidemic recurring, and most important, what can be done to prevent it. Um. So, do you think that what's been written and described in this novel uh, could also be done by real people if something uh, after we um, finish from COVID? I mean, yes, it, uh, this part of the story, it, it makes us relate our time to theirs and how people dealt with it. And in this part of the story, where which, one, which I chose, she put the reader in different positions, such as soldier, uh, soldier, office worker, and housewife, to show that this virus doesn't know rich or poor, or young or old, and there is a high probability of getting it if you are a human. And we actually face the same thing. Um, everyone was quarantined for a period of time, celebrities, athletes, and politicians, which make us feel better. They came over it, and we will come over it. Although, um, Today's citizens may consider the 2020 world to be dramatically more connected than in the past, but World War I and soldier mobilization created a situation well suited to influence the dispersal. Right, so thank you, Nermin, and I'd like to thank uh, our guests today, and I'd like also to th thank um, everyone for listening to our podcast, and if you like 
what you heard it be nice to share it with your friends they might be looking for something to do so yeah once again I'd like to thank my guests and my the listeners uh, have a nice day whatever you are and goodbye I started okay uh, hello everybody and welcome to the podcast between me Shakir Abdul Qadir Hashim and Suruj Rafi in this podcast we're going to be talking about music and how people cope with music or use music as a coping method with pandemics going on around them or any of the problems around them so Hashim uh, what kind of music do you like to listen to? the kind of music I like to listen is like uh, heavy metal I'm kind of heavy metal guy Actually, have, yeah, that's the kind of music I like to listen. What about you? What does it? Uh, me myself, I like acoustic, like piano music or music that go a bit slower, you know? Yeah. A little relaxing. Yeah, Serious, what about you? Works. Uh, I'm more into rap and pop type of music, which has a nice beat to it, so like you can just uh, listen to it and chill. The thing is, with rap and stuff, right? A lot of times, there's a lot of, yeah. like, you know, cussing and stuff. Yeah. And just when you hear it, it doesn't help me cope with anything. It makes me more, you know, hyped up. So it's, like, a bit harder to yeah. enjoy or relax yeah. with yeah, yeah, but it depends effective. on the song and the artist you're listening to. So, like, there's many different types of songs and, uh, like, artists. So what, so what kind of artists do you listen to? Their lyrics, definitely. I listen to Eminem and NF. NF is a rapper who doesn't cuss in any of his songs, but they all have a lot of meaning about the world we live in. So, like, his songs Wait are really like. Right. Is NF the guy who said, uh, Let You Down or something like that? He made a song like that? Yeah. Oh, that guy. I thought he only made songs, not rap. No, no, his songs are. Uh, he is a rapper and he also makes other types of music. Any type of so, what about you, Hashem? Yeah, it's good. I listen to rappers like Eminem and DJ Khaled. They just do make like decent, decent, decent music. Like, but especially, I want to know about the rappers that made music in the pandemics. They're really few because nobody's uh, nobody will make music in these times. Yeah, a lot of people took this pandemic time as a holiday, you know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But, but there are a lot of people who made songs. Like, if you look online, right? One of the major, I think, I don't know if there's still a big band, was before 21 Pilots. They made Level of Concern, which was a big song during this. One Republic made A Better Days. That's also a really, really big song, yeah. I think. There's a guy called Blind Willie Johnson. He also made a song. He's in like in the 90s or 80s. He made a song in the pandemic. He's a cool yeah, guy. To deal with the plague, right? That's like he's an American singer. Uh, the thing is, I don't know about you guys, but you know, whenever you feel down or something, you normally listen to songs just to calm yourself down, right? I think a lot of yeah. us during this pandemic did the same thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you mean. It's like just listen to songs that calm you down and make you think about what's going on. Or maybe you just listen to a song that hype you up and get you starting things. Yeah. yeah. It depends on the person. Like, like recently, I think around a couple of months ago, a lot of artists were pent up with the coronavirus here. Yeah? They were like really irritated by it. And a way that they used to let out their anger was to write songs. Yeah, there was a song made by Cardi B and I Mark E's called Coronavirus where all they did was complain about the coronavirus and it got so much shits. It, it was like a huge song for a long time and all he, she did was complain about the coronavirus. Just trying to get benefit of the situation. Like a lot of companies nowadays trying to make a financial income in them from these songs. Mm, yeah. yeah. The thing is, at this period, not many artists make any song, but those who do, whether it's a good song or a bad song, 
as long as people can relate to the song since they're all like the same we're all in a similar situation no matter who you are you're all in the coronavirus pandemic they can relate to it and they just keep on playing that song and the song is really popular yeah that's how it goes big and I'm now I'm gonna read the thing about Sandra Garrett can you read it Yeah, 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 sure. yeah, so Sandra Gray published in 1582 commemorates a disaster outbreak of plague in Milan between 1576 and 1578. During this catastrophe, the, the citizens of Milan decided to build a new temple to Saint Sebastian. He was the most popular plague saint of medieval and reunited Europe, pledged to hold annual devotion to the ancestors. This composition recollects the offering and pledges in a way this works that this, this work find, uh, functioned as a kind of public service announcement, not unlike songs today reminding us to keep our distance or wash our hands. This reinfo- that reinforces the importance of vigilant piety and it does so in a highly evocative and captivating way. Two descendants dis- depict the idea of suffering or Donald's leap to describe the fall of Milan. The Mil- Milan is, just, I think, it was a city. Milan, yeah, yeah, it's a big city. Even you know now the football clubs, the AC Milan, Inter Milan, all of the stuff. So yeah. After that, I think. Yeah, that was like in the 80s and the 70s. It's happening all the time, not only in the uh, 21 century. Yeah, yeah, no, this is not the first pandemic the world has been through. It's, uh, a lot of pandemics, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And But every area, I think there's people... one pandemic that. Uh, it cost more than the World War II, like it's cool more than 60 million people. I think it's called the, it's called plague. A plague, like the, the Mexican plague. plague was called. Some plague that killed more than uh, the, more like 60 million people. It's more than World War II killed. Is it the influenza? Yes, yeah, kind of influenza, but I don't know. No, no, it was called. the plague. The Black Death, the Black Death was the deadliest pandemic recorded oh, yeah. in human history. The Black Death pandemic resulted in the deaths of anywhere between 75 million to 200 million de- deaths. Yeah, that's really huge number. And some plague just killed half of Europe, and it was called Great Britain. Uh, no, I think this because the thing is, this plague, right? Is You know, even if you go back in the history times, in the Viking times as well, you know, when the TV shows you see and the lowers you see, right? There's even songs about these plagues which were made back then as well. It's a weird. It wouldn't kill as much people as did in the future because back then our body could adapted to it much quicker, right? But yeah. after the areas of the Saxons taking over the world, then the plague really became stronger because. Well, after that point, like for like in the next hundred years, people grew softer, you know. Yeah, no more aggravation of themselves. It was like only the farmers or something. Because there's no immunity, yeah. we not we not get used to the plague. Yeah, Hashem, uh, could you? And oh, okay. Right. So. Yeah, so. What. What other songs did you guys listen to enjoy during the pandemic? So, uh, go ahead, Sus. Well, I I read an article about like a South African composer named Ruben Tolakole Kaluza, who used the song "Influenza 1918" to instill a sense of direction in his South African urban black audience. The compositional yeah. style of the song is an English hymn style, four-part harmony, verse-chorus format. Kaluza did two things in the song lyrics. First, he paints a picture of the impact of the disease in the African population. According to him, the pandemic decimated the elderly population as much as the youth, thus differentiating the African community's experience from that of other global contexts in which people in their prime. Ages 20 to 40 were most uh, were mostly affected. Then, in Kaluza's lyricism, the influenza pandemic is likened to the punishment in the b- biblical Exodus event, which God visited upon the Hebrews for abandoning His covenant with them. Hence, Kaluza calls for, for repentance and changes in behavior using song as his medium. Yeah, 
thing is, there's a lot of songs made in the past, which were meant to like you know be a method. I think mostly to store history as well. You can use songs to record history as well, because you know there's another song called uh, "Living in Wartime" by Michael Callan, which is in the second phase. It shows one of the major heroes of the moment of their time, and it talks about how uh, this guy was an AIDS activist and how he helped people during the period which AIDS was really big. And uh, you know it was like when medical advancements weren't as they were now, right? So this guy took a huge stand trying to help people with AIDS. He tried to make AIDS treatments free and stuff like that. Eventually he failed, obviously, but at the same time it was something he did which nobody else was doing at the time and used it. There were songs made about him, and he made the song himself to help it as well. Yeah, and they sometimes uh, they took it in a religious way, like. As I said about Blind Willie Johnson, once he said in Jesus, a song he created is called Jesus is Coming Soon. Blind Willie Johnson described a mighty disease, an epidemic that reached and discriminately and confided the confided the doctors. For Johnson, the pandemic was God's warning to America. He like it's like God's warning to America to turn away from evil and seek the Lord and pray. So they yeah. choose like. To make it in a religious way, like this is the end of the world. They don't know that they're gonna get over it. Like they're gonna yeah, beat yeah. It or something. I don't know. That, yeah, that's yeah, just an I example of what happened. Right. Uh, also, Marwan, join this. Marwan, uh, what kind of songs have you listened to during the pandemic? Um, well, they're not really related to the pandemic. It's just I found them and I really liked them, and it made me feel better. During the pandemic, one of them is called "Distance" by Apache. It just gives me this nice vibe that you know things are gonna be okay and stuff. Along with um, "Eyes on Fire," but a remix version of it. It's um, really soothing, you know. It's really nice. I, I do recommend listening to it if you're ever feeling a little down or something. Um, what else? There is uh, "Marble State." Um, found it on TikTok. Um, the slowed version is amazing, to be honest. It's really nice. I sometimes like listening to it during the um, while I'm showering for some reason. I don't know. It's just nice. Gives me nice vibes. Yeah, I can um, relate to that. <laughs> uh, what else is there? There's so many songs I listen to. They're really nice. I just can't remember them. Um, there is one that's called. Hold on, let me try to remember. Uh, save your uh, save your grace by Scarlord. It's. I don't think you guys would like it. It's um, kind of hard uh, to the ears because it's like really loud and aggressive. The way it makes me. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's hard. Um, it, it, it gives me this really nice vibe, like to the pandemic especially, like how there's a lot of deaths going on and all that. It just mixes with it and I, I don't know, it just gives me this nice vibe. Yeah, yeah the cool depression. All. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody can relate to that. We lost like a year from our lives just sitting in homes. Yeah. No, the thing is, uh, you know, a lot of people, they say they listen to music when they're taking a shower or take something like that. I don't get how you do that. Like, aren't you going to be distracted? Because the thing is, when you take a shower, right, all that water is coming onto you, right? And you you can't hear properly. I don't get how they listen to the music as well. Aren't they just focused on taking a shower while they're at the shower? Why would you it's focus? Like, it's just it just happens when you're in the shower. You just do what you do, you know? Yeah, but the thing is, right? The water goes through your ears and stuff like that, so I'm just confused as how to listen to it. Uh, speakers. Maybe, maybe it was a jacuzzi. Uh, you have it on max volume oh, yeah. or something. Yeah, exactly. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, especially when you're like, it's kind of at night, you know, and you put some candles on and put on the freaking vibe. Put a nice music okay. on. Damn. Damn. Bro, you put some candles on as well. Okay, candles on. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's really nice. You should try it. Don't I you should try it? Bro, you, you would do it every single night. Trust me. 
you just gotta put the type the right type of music on and then your parents just heard you in the room you're gonna take it like awkwardly nah i mean if you start singing like crazy then okay maybe yeah maybe. but yeah that's what i don't understand like how do you sing very loudly in the shower and why why do you do that it's calm about something just like in a concert but in the shower <laughs> our own small you, concert anyone has anyone any of you done this before singing in the shower like there is no tomorrow no nah. nah, nah, nah. nah. I did it but like a Michael Jackson song I don't know why Michael what? Jackson which song yeah like hi Billie Jean's and Beatles Smooth Criminal oh Smooth Criminal is nice yeah it's really good Especially that he got very popular and everybody's listening to it. That was back uh, in the 90s. And the thing is with me, right? I only sing when I'm with my friends and like all of us are just sitting around and vibing. And I just sing the songs which are all meant as jokes. Like there's one song called Russian Paradise, which is like meant as a complete joke. Or when I'm hanging out with my friends who are from the same country as me and I sing like random songs like Dilem Dukhtuk Mikana or Ya Kalam Pih Ya Kalam Pah Those four guys they have to listen to you I don't know my national anthem it's in Pashto no the Russian national anthem is pretty cool it's actually not that hard but it's very boring the national anthem of some countries are actually confusing to the people themselves yeah I mean, I don't know my own national anthem because I grew up somewhere else. So, and I remember same, same. Uh, making fun of the national anthem as a kid. <laughs> Gosh, that's yeah, so which disrespectful. One? Um, the one for uh, United Arab Emirates. Ah, uh, everybody made fun of that. Yeah. <laughs> All of uh, us did. Right. It was in Arabic. Like, uh... plus the thing is, half of the people who actually read the national anthem for in the UAE. don't know their own national anthem right so they just tend to make fun of other national anthems because they think their own national anthems is something amazing but once they start singing their own national anthem they realize that none of them are particularly good (laughs) they're just to hype the people and get them to like rebellion and like to save the country yeah like the country was under siege or under a dictatorship the songs just to get them excited so they can yeah break them or something to rebellate yeah that's what yeah, it's called yeah, yeah. but that's kind of hard when the people don't respect it so like yes yeah, it's, it's really weird sometimes they just ignore it like I don't care what this guy is singing I don't care what the song is I'm just yeah. gonna do my own stuff yeah. and some don't even care just they just lip sync because <laughs> we grab in different yeah countries. That's what I used to do. Like whenever in Afghanistan, my friends would start uh, singing it. I'd just lip sync some random words until somebody yeah. called me out, and I was like, "No, no, I know how to sing it. I'm just yeah, my like, voice hurts right now. My voice hurts right now." I remember in school they used to like make us sing it every morning, and I didn't know a single word. So like I just said random stuff with my lips, and then one day they asked me to sing it out loud, and I was like, "I don't know this shit." So like. Yeah, yeah. Very... yeah. I'm pretty sure. Oh, nothing, nothing. None of us do. When um, in school, they just let you stand for like a whole hour just to freaking sing yeah. the uh, anthem. Oh my god, that used to be me back in Dubai. Gosh. Oh, in my school, they do the So like. I mean, if yeah, you made fun of the Turkish national anthem, they're gonna beat you up in the schools. Yeah, but, but I don't even have... understand what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I'm just That's saying the, the words and I don't get what I'm saying. No, I just lip sync, to be honest. I just get the yeah, first same. few words right and then just move my mouth <laughs> in the end. Well, the thing is, I do the same thing with songs, right? I don't know more than half of the lyrics. I just know one or two words in the song. And I just say my part in that song, and people are like, "Oh, you know the song, you know the song." But in reality, I don't know anything about the song. I just memorize the areas which are the easiest to learn. Yeah, like a couple, a couple of the lyrics, and you don't know anything else about the rest. You just make it up. Yeah. 
Yeah. This reminded okay. me of a video on YouTube, though. Uh, Ryan Higgins, if you know him. Yeah. Him about uh, making songs and stuff like uh, the types of rappers. The one who yeah, just yeah, like gets the... the first lyrics and then just lip syncs the the rest. The mumble rappers. Doesn't know the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they just said so... only one word and repeat it over. Like yeah, yeah like... a lot of people do that. Like Lil Pump and that other guy. I forgot his name. Gucci gang, Gucci gang, Gucci gang. Yeah, oh Gucci God. gang, Gucci gang. He just repeats that for like a whole two minutes. I mean, anyone can be a rapper now. So there's nothing special. A very successful song yeah. as well. That just amazes me. Like, no, it's just because people are stupid and they just like silly things. That's it. It has one billion views on YouTube, man. One billion? Are you? What? You serious? Yes. Yeah. Let me check. Not even this specific oh, that. No way. Yeah, but the Spacito was a song which was actually somewhat good for a lot of people. Yeah, it wasn't like it, it repeated the nice same word. Yeah, it wasn't like they repeated the same exact words for the whole entire song, and it made somewhat yeah, sense. Man. Yeah, well, this song, I mean, it's better than Gucci Gang. <laughs> of course, that's I don't even get that song. Uh, I swear he became gang? homeless a bit later, or something. He got into a lot of trouble and he lost a lot of money. Was he a little pump or 69? The guy who s- uh, sang the song. Which yeah, song? Yeah, that's a little pump. Yeah, little pump. I think he got into a lot of trouble or some shit. I don't know. Yeah, everybody picked on him. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because all he's doing in the song, all what did, all what did he did in the song, just flexing his money and like he got some. You know what? I don't want to see it in the yeah. podcast. So like he's got some girls. That's it. Sounds nothing wrong. Okay, okay. We okay, let's it. change the subject. <laughs> okay. Anyways, I think it's been over twenty minutes. Uh, I think yeah, that's enough. Time. Right. Stop it. Yeah, just stop it.